This is Cinema Degeneration. Okay, let's run. This is a snakeskin jacket. And for me, it's a symbol of my individuality and my belief in personal freedom. I just got 50 cars for you in one night. All right, I'm a little tired, a little wired, and I think I deserve a little appreciation. That's one way of looking at it. The other is you get to keep 75% and not go to prison for the rest of your life. <laughs> hey, have you ever been dragged to the sidewalk and beaten until you pissed blood? I never just rode before gunfire. Yeah, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, do you have Y, Z, That's all you have to do! is you. You are the car, okay? Let's ride! Memphis Rings. Retired car thief. June 9th. Where's my brother? Jammed up bed. I need 50 cars. I am. Eight over. You want to go for a ride? Oh, yes. From producer Jerry Bruckheimer, Nicolas Cage, Angelina Jolie, Giovanni Ribisi, and Robert Duvall. folks out there cinema degeneration is back on the air and we are recording a new episode of brilliantly insane the age of cage an all nicholas cage podcast where we celebrate the films and filmography of one nicholas cage and my guest this evening or afternoon i guess this evening is rook madrano how are we doing doing good how are you I'm fantabulous. It's good to talk to you. It's been some months since we've recorded, so I'm glad to have you back on. Absolutely. Yeah, we haven't talked since we filmed uh, Parallels back, well, shit, like eight, eight nine year? months ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was say, in July. Been a while. But I'm glad to have you back, and I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule, because I know with all the filmmakings and the photographies and just life in general and you know crafts and everything else you have been super super busy so i appreciate you taking some time out of your busy schedule to do this always that time for you uh i appreciate it i do appreciate it now um for being a first time guest on the show uh or not on cinema degeneration but on brilliantly insane uh (laughs) we have a little bit of a nick cage questionnaire uh, that i give to all first time guests 
So are, are you ready for this? I think I prepared. Let's do this. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, they're fairly simple questions, but one of them is uh, uh, going to give you a real Sophie's choice. <laughs> All right. <laughs> first one is really easy. What is the first movie that you remember seeing with Nicolas Cage in it? So the first one would have to be Vampire's Kiss. Um, oh, good movie. Because good. vampire films were like my gateway into horror, and I watched so many vampire films growing up. And that was like the very, very first one that I remember with Nick Cage. Yeah, that's uh, that's a wonky one. <laughs> it's, it's a crazy it is. One. You got to be in a kind of a, it's a good movie. I'm not knocking it at all, but you have to be in a certain kind of mood to watch Vampire's Kiss. You just can't pop that in at any given time. You know, yeah, it's definitely a wonky film. It's, when, it's wonky. When, when he puts in the plastic teeth and starts making those faces, I crack up yeah. every time. And especially knowing that he ate a live roach. <laughs> for for the for posterity in that movie during the scene where he eats the cockroach, I'm just yeah. like that's fucking dedication. Okay. He he was definitely dedicated to that role. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. When uh, I remember reading at one point, I don't remember where I read this, but at so, a, a certain point, the director had said that you know that he didn't like that take. Could he do it again? And he was just like, no. <laughs> Like, good for standing your ground, sir, because I don't know that I'd have uh, the dexterity to be able to, like, I'm going to eat a cockroach for a movie. Like, Yeah. I have to be paid something special. All right. He's crazy. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, he's in, he's insane. That's the, hence the name of the show. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Next question is, uh, at what point did you become a fan of Nicolas Cage? Was it watching Vampire's Kiss or was there another movie that made you realize, like, okay, I dig this guy? I th so I think the movie that like solidified me as a fan was probably Con Air. <laughs> that seems to be the go-to for a lot of people. Put the Bonnie um, in the basket. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, because I, I I'd watched Vampire like I'd watched a bunch of random movies. You know, I watch a bunch of random movies, right. and as like as a youth, as a younger child, um, I'd probably say Con Air. It probably probably didn't help that everybody called me con air for a really long time due to my dead name but right right so, so yeah i think with with that that's when i was like okay he's he's cool i like this guy plus he had that magnificent mullet in that movie oh yeah for sure <laughs> all right and this one might might give might give away what movie we're going to be uh, reviewing today but i'm not sure but i gotta ask what is your favorite nicholas cage film it, it's definitely this one because I love cars. <laughs> I, I love cars so much. Um, so definitely gone in 60 seconds. Yeah. And there you go, folks. That is the movie we're reviewing today. But we'll get to that in just a little bit because we got a few more questions to get go through. But yeah, gone in 60 seconds. Top 10 favorite of mine as well. For sure. It's it's definitely a, a, like a toss up because I love his newer stuff like Mandy, The Color of Space. Um Oh, uh, what was the other one? Willie's Wonderland. Though he, Willie's like, Wonderland was good. Mom and Dad he, was really good, too. Yeah, Mom and Dad was really good. He's gotten to a point now, I feel like, where he's he's always been insane, hence the title. But he's he's just embraced it. He knows it. He knows that he's a meme, and he rolls with it. But he's still a damn good actor. Yeah, he brings it. Like, I, I have yet to see a movie where, at least I feel... I've yet to see a movie where Nicolas Cage has ever phoned it in. Yeah. You know, he's always seems to be on top of things. All right. 
this is the the one that might be a bit of a Sophie's choice or at least a hard choice for you. Do you okay. have a certain dream project you would love to see Nicolas Cage do, whether it be a dream project film or a sequel to something else he's done? Uh, I mean, this kind of touches on some of the notes I made with watching Gone in 60 Seconds. I would love to have a prequel to Gone in 60 Seconds um, to have some of that like drama that they allude to in the movie. Like, I want to know what made him what made him run like what did he do to leave city yeah 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 what he did to, to kind of buck up and leave town yeah because he, he left everything he left his girlfriend he left his family he left his brother he left his money he left everything to run a go-kart place. yeah kid. <laughs> so like i would i would greatly like to know what sparked all that good good question good or a good answer i mean sorry all right last Final final question is, what do you consider to be Nicolas Cage's most underrated film that you would recommend to somebody? Um, dang it, what's the name of that movie? <laughs> Hold <laughs> on. Uh, Ghost Rider. That's it. Ghost, Ghost Rider. Rider. Um, specifically Ghost Rider 2. Ghost Rider 2, I feel like he was completely unhinged and hilarious, and it's fantastic. And it feels like the comic. If anybody's ever read the comic, it feels like that so him and Ghost Rider, i think is incredibly underrated yeah i i feel like the second one gets a lot of flack but like like you said he was unhinged in that but i feel like the filmmakers were unhinged at the same time oh they like every, everybody was just like just keep tossing money at it just keep tossing money at it the film is insane it's crazy but it's fantastic like i've gone back and i've been watching as of late i've been watching a lot of like late 90s early 2000s movies I've been doing a lot of the same, yeah. Um, and I'm finding that I really enjoy them, even even the ones that didn't age really well. Um, so yeah, going back and watching like Ghost Rider and Ghost Rider Two and things like that, it's it's fun to watch. It's a good reminisce. Yeah, they make for a good double feature. Uh, the only thing oh, that sure. the, the second one doesn't have that I wish it did was was Sam Elliott. Yeah. Sam Elliott like was just a nice nice uh, chef's kiss to that first movie. I will agree. But they could have had a minute, but you know, the way things played out in the first one, not quite so much, but that's just the way she goes. But yeah, but no, anyway. I, I do enjoy him as the uh, spirit of vengeance as it is. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't know what I think of the idea that I keep hearing that they're going to have Norman Reedus play Ghost Rider here soon. Not that I think he can't pull it off. It, it, you know, he, he's definitely a fine actor in his own right, but I'm always going to see Nicolas Cage. As, as Ghost Rider, you know, I'm yeah. just always going to see that. But, you know, that's me. That's the nostalgia member Barry's going, Nick Cage is fucking Ghost Rider. Yeah, no, I feel that way. I feel that way about, like, Hellboy. Um, when they redid Hellboy with whatever his name is, and it wasn't Ron Perlman, I was like, uh, Ron Perlman is, is Hellboy. Yeah, uh, David Harbour played him. And I, and that's I, 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 I like the David Harbour version. You know, I, I don't dislike it, but it's just weird to watch it's just like it's just not ron perlman uh, right. I, I i can't knock david harbour's job but it's just nah it's just you know hashtag not my hellboy exactly yep i can i can relate to that a whole bunch <laughs> well that being said let's get down and dirty and get with our next film uh that we're doing here folks in case you weren't listening in the beginning we are doing gone in 60 seconds from the year 2000 and uh, I'll give the quick IMDb synopsis and we'll get right off into it. 
All right, Gone in 60 Seconds is as follows. A retired master car thief must come back to the industry and steal 50 cars with his crew in one night to save his brother's life. And I feel like, you know, most of the time I feel like uh, the IMDb synopsis are not quite correct, but that's a, a nice little summary. That's pretty much the, the gist of the, the movie, but there's, there is a lot more to this movie. I, I think the idea of uh, family and, and friends coming back, you know, together to pull off one last heist, not just to do it for the, as they call it, the big dirty, you know, the, to right. pull off the big last job. They're doing it just to save this dude's life and, his, you know, his crew. So I like that idea. It's got a, something nice to say about family. It's a lot kinder of a film than the, the original version because uh, a little bit of backstory. This was an pre, uh, this is a remake. Right. It was uh, the original film was made in 1974 by H.B. Halecki, who actually died uh, performing a stunt making a Gone in 60 Seconds Part Two. So he died partway through pr production. Unfortunately, they did finish it. It was a, it's kind of a shoddy, put together, shoddily put together film. It was Gone in 60 Seconds Two, but the first Gone in 60 Seconds, if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. Uh, so many cars, so many cars yeah. busted up in that movie, and so that, many cars busted up in that film. And I got to ask, since you're you're a self-proclaimed gearhead like myself, where you you love cars, um, if you're like me, you probably uh, don't know a whole lot about cars. I just know I, I just know what I like. <laughs> you know, I just see cars and go, "That's pretty." <laughs> um, I will say that I've I've not stayed as in tune with my car knowledge as I used to have. I was a Same. big gearhead where like you could pull up a motor. And I could tell you all the parts for it, how to drop it, how to put it, how to mount it, what RPMs it would run at. Like, I was ridiculous. But now anymore, I'm just like, yep, that's a good car. <laughs> <laughs> I like the looks of that vehicle. <laughs> yeah, more or less. And uh, now I got to ask, besides Eleanor, and we'll talk a little bit about Eleanor. We'll talk a lot a bit about Eleanor. Love Eleanor. Do, do you have a favorite a movie car or is Eleanor it? So Eleanor has always been it, but I'm a sucker for Mustangs um, and Shelbys. Like, I've always been. Um, I remember before even this movie came out, we would go to the racetrack here locally. Um, so where I live, we have Bristol Motor Speedway. And they did Thunder Valley on Thursday nights where anybody could roll up and race their cars. And people would roll up in Shelbys and Mustangs and, oh, the beautiful sounds of engines roaring. So I, <laughs> it was amazing. Um, if you've never seen a car jump trying to do a quarter mile, it's a sight to behold. And I think the first time that was really shown well in cinema was probably Fast and the Furious, but I've, I've watched that happen. In they person. do what I call like the bunny hop. Yeah. So speak. Yeah. When that front end lifts up, whoo, buddy. It's a, it's a sight to be, to see, but it's, it's crazy to see too. Um, that's so when yeah, you're like, seeing raw power. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I like old American muscle. Same, same. I always um, make the, the comment that I was conceived in the backseat of a 72 Dodge Demon. So, my, nice. my kind of being a, being a gearhead a little bit is, uh, is just in my bloodstream. But uh, this movie, now I'm not going to go through all 50 cars because that would take way too long. Oh, for but, sure. But I'm going to just name a couple of the cars that are in this movie. We got a 1958 Cadillac Eldorado in this movie. We got an Aston, 62 Aston Martin. Got a 53 Chevy Corvette, 98 Dodge Viper, 
a multitude of Ferraris, like literally too many Ferraris to even mention. They really Hummers. have a lot of Ferraris. <laughs> yeah, Hummers, like six or seven different Porsche, Porsches, and then my one of my favorites, 71 Plymouth Hemi Cuda. Yes. So then even a couple of, you know, Jaguars, Lamborghinis, Lincoln Navigators, Toyota Super Turbos, a Volvo, and then the 1967 Shelby Mustang GT500, eloquently named Eleanor. Okay. And yeah. we'll get into why she's got that name and why it is uh, nicknamed the Unicorn. But we'll get into that a little bit later down the road. Uh, first thing I got to mention is this movie was directed by Dominic Cena, who had only did a handful of films, uh, but he had, had directed California previously to this about five, six years beforehand. And he directed also about 50 or 60 uh, music videos. He also did the movie Swordfish, uh, Wide Out, and again, California, which was, I, I believe, his debut um, feature film. And his last film was in 2011. Also starring Nicolas Cage, a uh, season of The Witch. Yep. So he hasn't directed since then, so I don't know why he dropped off the, the face of the earth. But um, you can definitely tell this has the flair of a director that had done music videos. It's very flashy, especially with that opening credit sequence. It's just like, it just feels like it's an advertisement for something. Like, <laughs> like this is oh. an advertisement for Mustangs. More or less, yeah. Yeah, and I'm all for it. I'm all for it. Uh, it's got an amazing soundtrack, which we'll get into in a little bit. It's got everybody from Method Man, Crystal Method. Uh, it's got Johnny Cash. It's got Moby. It's got a whole bunch of others. It's got a very eclectic, uh, you know, like I said, very eclectic uh, soundtrack and a very weirdly placed uh, version. Uh, not version, but uh, weirdly, weirdly placed uh, song by War uh, when they play Lowrider, which is yeah. one of my favorites. I, I love that scene. I know we don't have to cover this in a linear fashion. We can kind of, you know, do hints and highlights. But like, what do you think of that scene when when he when he gets when he puts on the leather jacket, he gets on his cool duds. They're getting ready to do their fifty cars in one night heist, and they and play Lowrider, and he just goes <laughs> and he just low looks rider. over and he goes Lowrider, and they're like, what? And he's what? like, Lowrider. Low <laughs> and then they play it for like 30 seconds because I'm pretty sure that's all they could afford. <laughs> yeah, because they're not, we're not going to pay $40,000 to play the whole fucking song here. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I, I love that scene. I think when you think of Gone in 60 Seconds, there's a handful of scenes that stick with you. And the lowrider scene is definitely one that is probably the most quoted most like reenacted like i've had people that i've talked to when we talk about the movie that they do the all right let's go <laughs> like, yeah, the, they, the they little hand the flips yeah, yeah. <laughs> and everybody's into it sway is into it she's kind of rocking and moving chi mcbride yeah. is like smoothing out his hat it's just like you know it's their own entrance music you know they're just like they got it's kind of like in baby driver you got to have a soundtrack Oh, Baby Driver is such a... That's a good movie, too. (laughs) That's another good car movie. It is an awesome car movie. I got to find an excuse to, you know, somewhere down the road to just review that for shits and giggles, you know. Yeah, the way this starts out, one, it's got an amazing soundtrack, the music, the the amazing cast. Now, I'm just going to throw out a couple of names here. Uh, We'll get into each one of their characters when we get to them, but this has three Oscar winners. You got Nicolas Cage... Angelina Jolie and Robert Duvall. Yep. 
in it. Some other uh, supporting cast, we got James Duvall, no relation to Robert Duvall, but we got Will Patton, who is such a great character actor, but sorely underused in this movie. Okay. Uh, you know, Scott Kahn, uh, son of the legendary James Kahn, Timothy Oliphant, who is just fucking living legend between, yeah. you know, uh, Santa Clarita Diet, Deadwood, Justified, Delroy Lindo, and uh, Vinnie Jones, again, you know, amongst others, everybody in this movie, there's a lot of little cameos by people that I didn't realize were in it in it until this this last time until i really started digging into it yeah. like I, i've watched this movie many times over the years but uh tim design uh who's a character actor who was in cabin in the woods john carroll mm-hmm. lynch who's an american horror story michael pena who is in like everything including ant-man here lately r gross who plays the the guy who gets them their mercedes keys ken jenkins who is from uh scrubs so i mean there's a lot of people a lot of people in this movie yeah, absolutely is. And the one the one bit of casting that always throws me off is T.J. Cross as Mirror Man. He did three films and, like, disappeared. Yeah, he really did. He was great. I thought he was great comic relief. One of my favorite little sub-side characters. I mean, now i got to ask you this. Do you have a favorite character in this movie, and why is it Chi McBride? <laughs> 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 Sorry, I should, no, I should, I should never assume, but like, Chief McBride as Donnie is just the shit. Yeah, no, Donnie is awesome. But honestly, I think I might surprise you. I have two. So I have a soft spot in my heart for Timothy Oliphant because he's amazing. And even though I feel like he was incredibly underutilized in this film, his comedic timing and just hilarity is like top tier. Top tier. Like when Delroy is driving and they're doing that massive chase towards the you know, the third half of the film and where yeah. Timothy is just literally <laughs> caking his pants because Delroy is driving like a madman, <laughs> right. not saying anything, but you see it on his face. It's great. It's I great. The part was like, damn, he can drive. And, and Delroy was like, what, what? And he's like, it's probably just the car. Yeah. The, the uh, back and forth between the two of them is great. I agree. Oh, for sure. And then I love Giovanni Rubisi. Um, him as Kip. Again, I feel like, we're the storyline mostly centered around him um in memphis like it, kip was the one that got in trouble memphis came to save kip i feel like we didn't learn much about him but i still loved him in all of the scenes he was in but yeah giovanni's he's just so cute i just want to give him a hug yeah I, I, and, every and, movie i think i've ever seen him in he's always got like this sorrow that he wears really well on his face like he yeah. can carry sad really well yeah, yeah, he does. He he plays somebody who's very troubled, very it seems like with ease. Yeah. But Timothy Oliphant, this is the first thing I remember seeing him in before I, you know, before Deadwood was even an inkling anywhere before Justified Start. And, you know, it's a shame he's not used more in comedic stuff. I mean, he was he did, you know, Santa Clarita Diet three seasons yeah. of that, which was really, really good. But yeah, yeah, I agree. There's some really good highlights, but I think my favorite like character is Donnie. He's just Donnie. Got, yeah. She McBride's just got a way about him. You know, it's just the, the part when they're, they are still in the one car and the guy tries to hold them up and then he's just like, you know, door bangs them. And it's yeah. like, you, you need a, you need a role model. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you need a role model. It's <laughs> just great. Or when we got the, the montage of them putting the gang back together, you know, put or putting the band back, back together. And when, uh, 
Robert Duvall is Otto and uh, Memphis are, are all calling people up and they call him and he's doing like driver education and he just lets her go. He just lets the, the lady go. That oh he, God, her high pitched scream was something else. <laughs> it's just something else. And then when he runs back, like he runs past her or walks past her in the DMV later when he's going to get the information at the DMV. And he's just like, ooh, I'm giving this one a wide berth. I'm just yeah. Gonna, yeah, great, great stuff. But yeah, the movie starts out, you know, we got, uh, you know, Kip Raines, Giovanni Ribisi and his crew trying to steal, you know, a couple of Mercedes. And they're, the crew is fucking morons. They're, they're, yeah. they're absolute morons. They... You know they're they're cowboys. They think it's the wild wild west. They don't know anything, and that I don't know anything about stealing cars, and never have. You know, but at the same time, you would think that they would want to keep things low key if they want to get away with it, right? But supposed to steal fifty cars in one night for this uh this this asshole uh, Raymond Kalitri, who is known as AKA the Carpenter, by Chris Eccleson, who actually played one of the doctors on Doctor Who here. Uh, he was my first doctor. Oh, was he? Yep, he was my first doctor. He didn't play the doctor for very long, did he? One season, and it se- was it was sad. He's they always say like if you're in the Doctor Who fandom that you never forget your first doctor, and that I I hold by that you don't. His interpretation, his iteration of a timeless character, was beautiful and macabre, and you just wanted to hug him. So. Not so much in this movie, though. No, not so much in this movie. Not at all. <laughs> he plays a great villain, uh, you know, and the thing is, that's what I mainly know him from is this and uh, 28 Days Later. Yeah. You know, he, he plays the, the bad guy in the end of that. But he is quite the, the real carpenter, has an affinity, no, no pun intended, intended here, but affinity for wood. He, yeah. You know, when he gives that little speech when Memphis comes to save his little brother, Kip, and he's describing how it comes from nature you know and how you can sand it and shape it and mold it you can tell he's got quite the affinity you know for lumber or wood yeah. and, you know nature and it will come into play here at the end you you'll find out he does have a you know a weakness for wood for wood <laughs> for wood but like i love the line when um you know nick cage as memphis finally meets kalichri meets a kalichri and he asks him he's like do i look like an asshole and he just answers, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just it's, very, very calmly, yeah, yeah. Now this movie has a bunch of great one-liners. It's got some greatly, superbly written dialogue, and it's a testament to the actors, I think, you know, delivering it to make it live and breathe. But do you have a favorite line or little bit of dialogue in this movie? Oh gosh, there's so so. This this is one of the films that I feel like was really well written. Um, it's got so many just memorable moments, like the the interaction with Eccleson and and Cage, where do I look like an asshole? And he's like, yeah, that's fantastic. Um, there was a one liner, and I could not tell you what it was, but Timothy Oliphant said something silly towards um, the dude at the docks. Was when he was talking about violating his parole, and it was just a one-off, and I was like, "That's hilarious." Delroy has a ton of little one-offs that are hilarious. <laughs> um, but I think my favorite bit of dialogue is probably when they're they're dirty talking about car engines and inputs and outputs, and 
Yeah, yeah. When they're doing when they're like staking everything out, and then they're talking yeah. about uh, uh, oh, they they had a thing like what did Colombo drive and what was like on Magnum PI's uh, license plate and whatnot. There's some that, great dialogue. Yeah, there's a lot of great great dialogue in this film. I think one of my favorite lines <laughs> is just something very simple. And again, it's a, it's a Timothy Oliphant, uh, Delroy Lindo bit when uh, they're talking about uh, when Nicholas Cage finally gets back into town and the cops, you know, instantly they're on his ass. Like they, they're on they his really ass. They really were. Like they're like, ooh, that's the Memphis Reigns. And they're calling, you know, Delroy Lindo, who plays uh, Detective Castlebeck. And we keep calling it El Oliphant and, and Delroy Lindo, but Delroy Lindo plays Detective Castlebeck, and El Oliphant plays uh, Detective Drykoff. I think it's Drykoff or Drykoff. Either way, it's a weird last name. Yeah. But but there's a line when they they corner Nicholas Cage outside the coffee shop, and Delroy Lindo's just like, well, now I have another you know dilemma. I got to explain to my wife that I just lost a two hundred dollar bet saying that you couldn't be back in town. And Timothy Olenfit goes, yeah, and she's mean. <laughs> and, and then Delroy later looks at him and goes, don't talk about, about my wife. <laughs> yeah, just, well, he's just like, what? And he's like, well, well, she, and he just stammers for a bit. He's like, well, she can be mean. It's just what I mean, like, just whatever, man. <laughs> just like, it felt so real. Yeah. It, it felt very real. I did scribble down a note for a quote that I kind of enjoyed. And it's um, pompous people park outside of Starbucks. <laughs> when when uh memphis is is scouting cars and he has to go to like i think it was one of the um the imports so he goes oh, and he's all, dealership I yeah think. yeah and he's dressed all fancy and he's like i see 10 cars like this parked out of starbucks and only pompous people park out of starbucks and i was just <laughs> like yeah only pompous people to park out of starbucks right yeah because he says something he's like uh I love it when he says precisely. You would be a, you wouldn't be a self-indulgent wiener, sir. Yeah. You'd be a connoisseur. And he's like, champagne will fall from the heavens, doors would open, velvet ropes would part, and he just—it's so magnificent. It just plays off really well. It really does. But the thought I have in this, and I want to know what you think of this: fifty cars in one night. I mean, goddamn. That's like, a lot of cars. No matter how many people you have, he had what? Okay, let's let's count. I got the page up. So one, two, three, four, five, six, six people, seven, seven people mostly running. Their crew right. was a little bit bigger than that, but they had seven people running for fifty cars. Yeah, so that means like each one of them had to, you know, steal six cars, roughly six or seven cars a piece, In and most of them. Hours. But most of them, if you think about it, were running in twos. They were, yeah. Buddies so, with them. yeah. So it's just, it's just crazy. But you know, when you're, uh, you're, you know, when you first see your little brother for the first time in what I think they said it was six years since he had mm-hmm. been in town, five or six yep. years. You know, and you see him, and he's in a car crusher, and they're going to crush him in this old, you know, e-body, uh, you know, Trans Am. You know, it's gonna, it's gonna put a damper on things. You're, you're gonna, you're gonna try it. Now, I do have a bit of trivia that I wrote down, and I uh, found this on the behind-the-scenes video. Okay. Uh, in 2012, there was a gang in the UK, in and around Liverpool. Uh, actually, yeah, I think it might have been London, sorry. In 2012, that called themselves the Gone in 60 Seconds Gang. Oh, wow. That attempted to steal 50 cars in one night. Now, this movie came out in 2000, so this is 12 years later. They attempted to steal 50 cars in one night. Do you know how many they got to before they got caught? 
if you want to take a guess. Ooh. So is it a high number or a low number? Oh, it's a high number. It's pretty high. I'm going to say 48. No, not, not really close, but 39. 39? Okay. I was going to say 40 first, but then I was like, maybe go higher. <laughs> but still, 39. 39. I have to say. That's impressive. impressive. That's really impressive. I, would just, I wanted to find out more about it, but I couldn't find any other articles about it or anything. I wanted to know how big of a crew they had and like, just, you know, I want to know more. I wanted, I, I got to know more. That is really interesting. I mean, but, that uh, is really interesting. Yeah. One of the things I noticed is like, so it, it mostly opens with the, with the booth scene, I think at the Mercedes dealership. And yeah, when they go driving right out the front door. Yeah. Insane. My first comment that I made was, on God, the police presence would not be this quick for a real boost. No. No, I think they even play on that later on. They say, um, what does Nicholas Cage's Memphis say? Something to the effect, he's like, you know, you do it all in one night. Because if you stake it out, because uh, Kip and his crew were just like, how about we stagger, do some one night, do some the next night. And he's right. like, well, by the next night... They're already on to you. Right. But if you steal 50 cars in one night, by the time the first one's recorded stolen, you're already done. Yeah. Unless you're one of these guys and you get caught at every station, every step of the way, because, my God, that Kip and his crew, I know I've already said this, but they're, they're fuck-ups. They really you, are. You got William Lee Scott as Toby, who, on a side note, the girl, um, this is another bit of trivia that I had, the, the girl that play is uh, the the one who uh bust them stealing the i think the lincoln navigator yeah or the one suv the one that's like hey dad they're stealing your car and then that causes uh yeah i think the character's name toby to get shot later on yep. they ended up married a year later oh that's wild i thought that was a, a neat little bit of trivia but but yeah like they they, they can't even get out of the suburb. They, they're so stupid. They don't even know how to get out of the suburb. And they run into, you know, a bunch of rent-a-cops that, you know, shoot and wound Toby. But don't worry, folks. It's a PG-13 movie. Only the bad guys die in this movie. <laughs> That's very true. Um, yeah. And one of the things I thought, too, while watching this is this is an area that you guys have grown up in. I know that it's like Southern California near Long Beach. But you've grown up here. You know these roads. How did you get lost in a suburban neighborhood? Right. And isn't every suburban neighborhood basically the same as the next one? I mean, more or less. Yeah. They're very cookie cutter. But yeah, yeah, you figured they, but, but they're also, they're the comic relief and they're the fuck ups of the movie. You know, so it's just got to be would, the way it's going to go. I would say with his crew, the one person that I probably didn't like is going to be Freb. So James Duvall. He serves no purpose. Like they even say at the beginning when they're like, "Well, what skills do you have?" And he was like, "Well, Fred can order pizza like it's nobody's business." It's like, why is he even there? Like I, I kind of feel like that was a throwaway character, like screen filler, because he didn't really have much dialogue. The only thing he contributed to the film was a boosted car from Chinatown, which literally anybody else in the crew could have done. Maybe it just plays to like Kip's group's naivety possibly but that's probably the only character that i was just like he doesn't really fit well they had to have somebody to go digging through dog shit to get those keys that is true but that's still true. it could still could have easily been anybody else it could have been kip yeah. it could have been toby it could have been tumblr yeah. yeah 
I like I like Tumblr. I have I have a thing. I, I kind of like Scott Kahn. He's just got a certain swagger about him. I've never really watched him in uh, Hawaii Five O, but which also had uh, Chi McBride in it. But I've never yeah. never really watched it. But you know, uh, like yeah, I I get it. He's really is the kind of the one. Yeah, he's just a throwaway character. But yeah. the one that I really like that. Uh, that I've heard a lot of people say he was the most annoying character was Mirror Man. I like T.J. Cross. He's just he's got a he just had a certain way about him. He was funny as hell and and partnering him up with the Sphinx. Oh yeah, him with the Silent One was Benny really Jones funny. Yeah, was brilliant. I think I yeah, think, I love Benny Jones. Yeah, <laughs> Benny's amazing. Uh, I think my thing with T.J. is he gave me like early Dave Chappelle vibes, like. Like early oh, yeah. Dave Chappelle doing Rick James, <laughs> <laughs> especially um, when he goes to the police impound yard. Yeah, and that's not a bad thing. Like, as as controversial as Dave Chappelle is, like a lot of his comedy is very funny. Um, especially so a lot me, of his earlier stuff is. Really yeah, funny. so T.J. Cross in this film as Mirror Man gave me the funny without the drama. <laughs> so <laughs> I appreciate that. Me too. And let's talk a little bit about the the Sphinx. How, how fun must it have been for Vinnie Jones to get like you know one of those million dollar paychecks and just like oh, you're only going to have me say three lines of dialogue and it's going to be at the the very 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 end, end of the movie. So yeah. I love Vinny, um, but then again I'm a fan of like British kind of crime movies, so Lockstock, mm-hmm. Snatch, things like that. Oh, and same, same. I feel like this film kind of gave him his American break. Um, Cause I feel like not a lot of people on this side even know what lock stock of two smoking barrels or snatches. And if you've not seen it, you're high key missing out. Um, but I loved his character, the Sphinx. Like I absolutely did. He was great. My favorite part was uh, when they were driving with the snake in the Hemi. <laughs> right. When like, he just tosses the snake out onto the cop car as they go yeah, by. Yeah, <laughs> tosses big old python out. He did a one that, if you've never seen it, it's uh, it's a British remake of um, The Longest Yard. But Ooh. it's called The Mean Machine. All right. And it uh, deals with, uh, you know, uh, basically the same, t- same type of movie, but instead of football, it's soccer. And it's got Jason Statham in it. It's got pretty much a, a bunch of the uh, lock, sock, and two smoking barrels, That's you know, cool. guys. And it, it's very much a comedy, but very good, very good. Highly, highly recommend it. But yeah, uh, no, I just, yeah. Vinny is a character, and him is the Sphinx, this tall, brooding, somewhat dark dude who ends up being very thoughtful. I thought was great. I love the part when they're calling, and he's working in the morgue. Yeah, and the two helpers. It's like, how do we? Like, I don't want to talk to him. You talk to him. It's like, how is he going to accept the phone call? The guy doesn't speak. And even press Nicholas a Cage, button if you're there. But <laughs> it's so great. And his little bit of dialogue at the end. He's like, "You say poor Toby, I say poor us." I'm like, like man, I thought you were from Long Beach. And he just takes a swig of beer and shrugs, like, "Oh, <laughs> maybe I am from Long Beach still." How do you know, motherfucker? Exactly. No, he's great. I think another character that they underutilized was Sway. They alluded yep. a lot to, you know, a past history with her in Memphis and her talents. And, like, she knows imports. Like, they, they basically say she knows imports. Mm-hmm. But we get none of that. I think they underutilized Atlee. 
quite a I bit. I think they did too. Will um, Patton is great. He's he's a dynamite actor. I think him as Atlee, again, there's there's like parts that I feel like are missing like little bits of exposition that we could have gotten that would have probably put this film like way over the top without making it super long um and just really focusing on some of those key characters well you know the movie was pushing two hours it was an hour 58 minutes yeah doesn't feel like that though it goes by pretty quick yeah it moves by really quick and um you know the the one the the one thing that they Here's the one the one problem I have with it. Something that I, I would I, I want to know what you think of this. I think they could have cut out the whole uh, subplot with uh, Johnny B, that the rapper Master P. I hate plays. Johnny. You know B. that him going in. Yeah, I, I think the character's stupid. They waste what two scenes, three scenes on him. And yeah, yeah, it results in a you know some action, a couple car explosions, but they could have cut out those whole two scenes with him. And had more exposition with, you know, Atley or Sway or even Otto, Robert Duvall. I would think he was a great character, too. They could have expanded upon instead of wasting time on Johnny B. Because what what did that even, it was just, it, it went nowhere. It did, it, yeah. I actually have that in my notes. That, like, Johnny B. was another throwaway character. Like, they needed another, I guess, antagonist. But they really could have just focused on, because Atley's working for... Um, oh, well, Christopher Eccleston's character. So, like, they could have touched on that. So that could have been your additional drama. Like, you didn't have to bring in Master P, like, at all. No, I mean, I, I, I don't get it. And he's not a very good actor. I do kind of like how they, you know, they they tricked them by going into the diner with the cops as protection for a little bit to to distract things. But again, it's it's interesting, but it's not as interesting as I would have liked to have seen more of, like I said, more of Otto or more Sway or Atley. But yeah, it just that if there's really one complaint I have in this movie, I got well, I got two complaints, and that's one of them. And the other one is uh, I don't want to get into it too much right now, but the ending feels very rushed once they get the final car in. You know, yeah, the, it just feels like I would have liked to have seen um, more of a showdown. Between Eccleson and Cage, you know, yeah. let it get more, a little more personal. I agree. But uh, I'm trying to think of the next, the next thing I wanted to touch base on. I love how they have the mentionings of Eleanor before we ever see Eleanor. Yeah. Like when Cage and Delroy Lindo are having their back and forth outside the, the you know, the, the diner, and he has something. He's like, without loss, you'll never know. Oh, I forgot the the line he uses, but he's he, he Cage gives a bit of, of of knowledge on him, and he says, you know, without loss, you can never know personal gain or something like that. Yeah, he's like, oh, did Eleanor tell you that? And he's like, no, that's low blow. That's low blow. A low blow. And it just again, you know, when they mentioned uh, Eleanor the second time is when you finally get the point where they mention her being the unicorn. Yep. And I like the idea of this one car that every booster can never seem to get past. And uh, even Delroy Lindo knows that's his unicorn. He's like, he's going to save this car for last because he's afraid of it because the car's almost killed him. I think they said three times. Yeah. Like he went off a bridge and almost drowned, you know, cr- crashing it. Uh, yeah. I just, 
I, I, I love the the inclusion of there being this mythical, you know, unicorn. It's almost magical when they mention yep. it, and <laughs> and they always have an action movie one hundred and one uh, where somebody has to yell the phrase "Go go go" when somebody's yeah. being shot at. That I is always very said, true. Action movie one hundred and one. But yeah, again, uh, going back to the Master P thing as Johnny B, we just would have figured it would have worked into things into a bigger way if he would have maybe been working in cahoots uh, with Kalitri, I think would have, you know, the carpenter. Something, yeah, something. But for him to be just a standalone character out of nowhere felt really weird. Yeah, it feels very, very strange. And uh, again, here's where I have a note where the weakest link in the movie, and I forgot I had this note, but I'm going to agree with you. And it's not that he's a bad actor, but the character of Freb. Yeah. He's, he's, uh, He's the weakest link. He's the weakest link of uh, of the movie and the weakest yep. link of the group because he steals that Cadillac that has what like heroin. Couple, yeah, the couple of keys of heroin in the trunk. Yeah. Although, like I, he, you know, why would you ever think it was okay to steal a car not on the list when you're planning a fifty car heist? Like, I get the motivation that he wanted to be useful, but there was no setup for it. Like, it didn't there. There wasn't anything that led up to, well, he has to do this to be useful. Nothing. Yeah, he just does there, was, there was no buildup for that. So it felt very out of place and really odd. I I feel like, though, the, the resulting scene that follows it is one of the best scenes in the movie. When Castlebeck shows up right after they get that yeah. car there, they find the heroin, which spills out all over the back. So there's a pile of it on the ground. And he's, you know, as Cage says at one point, you know, he's sniffing around because he knows we're up to something. When they get him into the car, like, oh, yeah, get into it, start it up, you know, run it. And then he keeps kicking the gas until the, the you know, blows all the heroin dust all over the place. I love the yep. subterfuge with Robert Duvall and Nicolas Cage both trying to, like, distract him. Yeah. It, is a great, it is a great scene, but, like, the whole idea that he was, you know, stealing a car that was a busted ass like 83 or 84 you know Cadillac Brogum that was you know why would he want to steal an 83 Cadillac just randomly it even Uh, says you know there's a reason why there was the keys left in it because people who have cars in this area leave keys in it don't expect them to be stolen exactly exactly um i'm looking at some of my notes and i put a note on here it says i feel like i'm doing cinema sins with gone in 60 seconds (laughs) (laughs) um but like some of the things here that like i was like the classic cuff someone to a car and crush them because we're mobsters like Mm -hmm. and then why did memphis leave ten thousand dollars just on the floor yeah he walks away like he goes to pay them pays a Kalitri, the 10 grand, and then he knocks it all over the floor. I would have been picking each one of those $100 bills up. I mean. Bet your bottom dollar. If he doesn't want my 10K, I want my 10K. <laughs> like, I yeah, exactly. Like, I've been like, yeah, you're not going to take it. I'm going to keep it. I'll, I'll pick it up off the floor. It might take me a few minutes with my knees, but I'll pick it up. And then I put but, on here that I do love Christopher Eccleston as a villain. Because um, he's just a, he's a good bad guy. He's a good bad guy. What is it about people with with British accents playing bad guys that I just love? I don't know what it is. What I also like is that he kept his normal accent. Like he didn't force like a posh accent. He didn't force like a Cockney accent, which is a lot of what American cinema is used to. He just kept his true blue 
accent, the one that he grew up with. He didn't force it, which made the character feel a little bit more real. Yeah, and I read somewhere that that was a, a conscious decision that he made, that he wanted mm-hmm. to keep his original accent in the movie. Yep, because he didn't want to sound like any other villain. Yep. Which is awesome. But, yeah, I'm glad he made that decision. It works really well in the film. It does. Now, besides when we get to the, the montage where they're stealing cars, I, I know you're, you're I'm, I'm going to guess that probably seeing Eleanor in action is probably one of your favorite parts of the movie, as it is mine. Oh, that car, man. It's a, it's a beautiful so, car. The like thing Jean that killed me is that they didn't use the actual sounds of the Mustang. So if you look up trivia on it, it's not the sounds of a Shelby. They used another car sound. That sounded... for, a car, for a movie that was so much about car details, they would have had that. Yeah, there's a lot of like really goofy things that they did, um, like sound design wise. That's that's in the movie that just doesn't make any sense. Like skipping sort of towards the end, like in the final scenes of the movie, when Kip gives him his gift and we won't say what it is quite yet, but Mm -hmm. he gives him his gift. He starts the car. It's the noise of a Chrysler, not of the car. (laughs) So weird. Like, why would you not just. Yeah, Yeah, it's weird. (laughs) It it couldn't have cost any more to get the correct sounds, you know, but maybe maybe they they spend all their money on lowrider. They, <laughs> they could have. I mean, I don't, I don't know. Like, it's weird. It's weird. Yeah, it's very strange. There's just so much, uh, you know, meticulous care went into this movie. You know, between the God, the 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 last car, the that car chase goes on for what, twenty straight minutes? Yeah, of just nothing but destruction. So beautifully done that they couldn't have just uh, went. You know, they already went the extra mile. They couldn't have went an extra two feet and got the real sounds. But I think that's probably a couple of my pet peeves is where they like they alter some of the cars. Like they couldn't get the exact models, but they still said it was like this model car, even though it was like a, a year different, which I guess that's nitpicking. But if you like cars and you're paying attention to the movie and I feel like this movie was a precursor for the Fast and Furious series and for oh, like yeah. the oceans films like this th- the original so the original 1974 gone in 60 seconds and then this one is very much what set up major franchises that we still have like if you're gonna do that you should you should go all out right well i i'm glad you brought up fast fast and the furious because the fact that this movie came out and was considered a bomb by disney standards they said that they they feel like they lost a close to $200 million on this movie with all the publicity, yeah. advertising, even though it turned a profit in the U.S., you know, the, it did not turn a profit overall. I like, I don't know how that works, how a movie has a $90 million budget, can go on to make $250 million, and they're like, oh, but it lost $200. I'm like, how? How? Like, I, I don't I don't understand that, and I don't know that I want to understand that because the grossness spending of Hollywood just irks the shit out of me. Like, these people have so much money, and they spend more on the cappuccino budgets, and then, like, people like us make them. Um, Listen, uh, yeah. we can complain about this because Danny and I just, this is completely not Gone in 60 Seconds related, but uh, Danny and I were reading something recently about what is considered an indie film in Hollywood and like these multi-million dollar films that are basically box office successes are considered indie film 
and it makes me rage. Oh, me too. Like The like, Conjuring is considered an indie film. Yeah, and that movie had what about a thirty million dollar budget, but that's considered, yeah. you know, anything I think under thirty million dollars anymore is considered like not. I don't know if they consider it micro budget, but they have a certain name for it that I can't remember. Yeah, it's it's obscene. It's obscene. I've often said, like, when I read one time that the cappuccino budget on Titanic was $180,000. That's why I always make the joke that they spend more on their cappuccino budgets than we can, you know, we can make 10 movies and hand you some change. It's just insane. <laughs> the gross amount of misspending is just like, like, just for instance, like we're talking, we were talking how this was kind of a precursor to things like Fast and the Furious and the exactly. Ocean's movies. Yeah, you know, no, we, we digress. I, we digress. Yeah, that that's a completely different topic for a completely different time. But yeah, I, I feel like even with this, absolutely, could they have put in the money towards real sounds or just change the if if you got a different year model, nobody's really gonna know if you put the right year down. It's not right. changing the plot point or anything. You're still stealing the car. You're still doing the thing. Like, yeah. yeah. It's just crazy when I think about the money. But again, uh, I think you made a good point when you said that uh, the Fast and the Furious franchise owes yeah. a lot to this movie. Yeah, because the Fast and the Furious came out in 2001. So literally one year after this movie. And you know, somebody told somebody told somebody else that this project was being made. Because we, we both know that films take forever. Right, right. And... Now there's what there's like what, nine Fast and Furious films. Yeah, and and I think they said they're planning on making a two part for part ten. That they're going to do it as a double feature for part ten. So there's listen, like... there's nine films too many in the Fast and the Furious. The first one was <laughs> great. They should have left it at that. Am I glad that it gave these people a career? Sure, but I could not tell you the plot point anymore. Oh, there there is no plot point. It's room room explode explode drive fast. <laughs> it's just. <laughs> Which, I mean, in fairness, is kind of this film, too, but... Right, right. But this... I mean, let's face it, Fast and the Furious movies went to... They finally went to outer space in the last one, for crying out loud. You know, oh, when see, they... I, I stopped watching them. <laughs> yeah, they, they make... they make uh, On a short note here, I'll, I'll talk about this because it bears mentioning. They take a Fiero, a Pontiac Fiero, which is just like a Pinto, was known for blowing up if you tap the rear bumper too hard. Right. Make it into a space car and shoot it into fucking outer space a fiero makes sense you know not even something hefty like a humvee or something no a fiero but okay oh hey anyway i don't want to i don't want to go off on a i feel like we already went off on no you're fine <laughs> sorry you know tangent. me i'm i'm one to get into tangents oh i um, do too i do too we make left turns here all the time we so do um but yeah like just i don't know this this film definitely set up a lot of like super common tropes that we still see for getting the band back together. And I, I've watched a lot of movies. I know you've watched a lot of movies too. There's not a lot of films that feel like when you're getting the band back together, that it feels as slick as this does. Oh yeah. I love the scene where they're doing the calls Yeah, and you don't see some of the people they're talking to. <laughs> and one point cage is like on the phone with somebody and all you can hear is moaning on the other side. It's like, I'm going to let busy. you go. You're really busy. 
And then one guy's just like, you know, Robert Duvall's just cursing at some guy. You know, somebody's giving him shit. He's like, well, yeah, yeah, well, fuck you too, pal. It's yeah. just, it's a great report. There's a lot of montages in this movie, but it plays off really well. It works. It works. Um, the montages in this film, I feel like were very well done. And again, I feel like that gave inspiration to like the ocean films where they montaged it all to crap. But it yep. worked. So yep. this laid groundwork for a lot of more cult classics that we have now. Yeah, led led groundwork for movies that ended up being a lot more successful than this movie. Exactly. And I think this movie, you know, still like I can't say I guess if you know Disney says it lost two hundred million dollars and it was not successful, but I feel like everybody I talk to loves this movie. Like I've really yeah. rarely ever mentioned it to somebody like on sixty seconds and anybody's just like ah, I didn't like that. You know. Uh, but that, yeah, I don't I think know the, anybody who doesn't like this film. You know, the thing is, it's like if if you like cars and you like car movies, I can't see watching this movie and not being in love with it. I mean, it's got tons of beautiful cars. The movie is shot really well. The cinematography is fantastic. Everything looks really slick. There's not a shot in this movie that feels out of place. Yeah, yeah, yeah not really. Yeah, we you know. talked about the color grading last night because obviously I watched this with Danny um, and we were talking about like the the orange blue color grading and how mm-hmm. they really used that lighting to portray this story really, really well, because we both know how hard it is to shoot at night. Half of this film is shot at night mm-hmm. with no day for night shots. It's just shot at night. Um, so you have a lot of blue hues which inevitably go to the the sun raising up and the, the orange hues. And it's just beautiful contrasting colors. Blue orange is, is generally really good, but I feel like this film is a damn good example of how to use that. Yeah. The blue, the blues and the orange, well, the orange is just and yellows brighten things up so mm-hmm. well when utilized the right way. And this movie uh, is, is like long before, um, J.J. Abrams, you know, became known for doing this kind of thing, but uh, using a lot of lens flares. Yeah. Like, but it doesn't feel out of place, you know, and like when it happens, it happens and you're just like, okay, like I can handle that. That makes sense. It's not just like, woo, like cut down on the lens flares, buddy. And then the one thing that I, I kind of pointed out, um, and I had this knowledge funny enough from my mom, because um, my mom grew up in Long Beach, when they're on the docks and they're driving in the shipyards and stuff like that, and all the ground is super, super wet, Danny was like, man, it sure did rain. And we both kind of looked at him. We were like, no, it's literally from them pulling boats out of the ocean. <laughs> oh, I guess I never considered that before. Yeah. I always thought the same thing. I'm like, it must have just freshly rained. No, it's it's it doesn't. It very rarely rains in that area. That's why they're constantly in a drought. Um, the water that you see, one is used to make the tra- the chase look so much better, but mm-hmm. um, would work because if they're in a shipyard, you're pulling containers off of ships, you're pulling ships off of ships, you're pulling things out of water, so the the ground would be really wet. That makes a whole lot of sense. Now my mind's a little bl- bit blown there. I always just figured it well it must have just finally rained, but yeah, you laid some knowledge on me. Now hey. you know, and knowing is half the battle. <laughs> Well, yeah, let's yeah. let's talk about the end of this movie, the oh. final the final half hour. Oh, like one beautifully shot. I love seeing Eleanor in action, but watch watching her get busted up breaks my heart. Every breaks time. my heart 
when he's having the conversation with Eleanor, when he gets into, he's like, he's like, I'll take care of you. You take care of me. I know we got a history, you know, and we'll, we're going to make this easy. What happens? He pulls out of the parking garage and there's Castlebeck and, you know, and he has to make the decision, you know, do I run or do I, you know, stay? And he, he fucking runs. And I'm glad he does because it makes for some of the most energizing car chases and driving that I've seen since like, since like Smokey and the Bandit. I know that's a weird, yeah. you know, comparison to use, but it's just, it's, no, gotcha. so, you know, it's just so good. But when he busts off the, the side mirror. I knew that was the end of like first time watching this when he's backing up and he's trying to back away from where the cops are and he knocks off the side mirror. I was, I was like, Oh, you done, you, you done injured. You insulted her. You, you hurt her. You can't hurt the woman. Yeah. You can't hurt, you can't hurt Eleanor because now you didn't take care of her and she's not going to take care of you. Oh, some of the car chases I, I love. I made a few notes here, a little bits and bobs that I love when they're getting into the canals mm-hmm. and he hits the nitrous and it has a sticker on it that says, go baby, go. I love that. I so love much. that little detail. Uh, um, maybe something mirror... you didn't know about that, oh. that little waterway. Did you know that's where they filmed Greece? No, no, now I you know. Not. Now you learned something new. Uh, uh, uh. So in Greece, when they did the car chase in the, the canal, that's where it was. Oh, Okay. I wonder if that's where the same canal where they filmed the, the car chase and uh, the semi chase in Terminator 2, because it looked very familiar. Possibly. I mean, if they oh, no. could be, if it was shot anywhere in Long Beach or California, I'd say probably. But I do know for sure that's where they did Grease. So little little tidbit of interesting facts. Yeah, that's 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 neat. No, I would, I would never put the two and two together. Now, I, now it makes me want to go watch Grease again. Well, I mean, if you think about it, Eleanor looks a lot like Grease Lightning, too. So a little bit, a little, a little bit. bit. So I, f- uh, I feel like and with Eleanor being the the only character that really transcended both the, the 1974 film and then the 2000 film, like, I feel like Eleanor definitely has history. Yeah. And now, now the Eleanor in this movie. Now, I, I, I love the original Gone in 60 Seconds almost yeah. as much as I love this movie. But, like, the Eleanor in the original Gone in 60 Seconds, beautiful car, 73 Mustang, but not nearly as impressive as this Eleanor. It's it's not a GT Shelby 500, you know. Yeah. There's something about Shelby's. The Shelby model is just chef's kiss. It's so beautiful. It looks like a shark. It does. When it moves, it's just like a shark moving through the water. Just, like you said, chef's kiss. Another little bit in Bob that I, I enjoyed, it's just a quick passing scene, but when he's, uh, Memphis is driving through the city streets and he flips it into reverse and he back and he's backing down the street and he looks over and there's that little kid in the yep. station wagon and he smiles and waves at him. And Nick Casey smiles at him before he drives away. It's, it's so fucking ridiculous, but I love it. I love and, that. And that bridge jump. My God. Couldn't uh, feasibly happen no, in real life. Like, if he could have hit that ramp and even launched the car, let's just say, like, for instance, he, you know, say for argument's sake, throws suspension of disbelief out and say that if he wouldn't have wildly fishtailed and, like, pretty much exploded on impact with that ramp, yeah, if he would have hit the ramp and launched and even made it, he would have, the, the car would have been destroyed on impact. Oh, 100%. 
And I mean, it is it is knocked a little silly, isn't you know the hoods crumpled, you know the the axles a little wobbly, the tires are fucked up, and everything. You know, they they try to make it pretend that like it got a little bit of damage, but like that car would have not have driven away on all literally knocked the bottom out. It would have literally knocked the bottom out. It would have been like have you ever seen um, Blues Brothers? Yes. (laughs) Yeah, like like when the car at the end when they park and then they go away and every panel just falls off and the tires fall off that was what would have happened exactly no i fully agree fully agree also it gave me like a little bit of like dukes of hazards vibes <laughs> right a little bit because they were in the air impossibly long right right like i could seen him jump in two or three cars at that kind of speed or but you know he he jumps at like a fucking eighth of a mile man yeah he jumped like <laughs> like 10 cars and then like skidded on the hood of like an ambulance. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, like, there's, a, there's a few moments of like really cheesy CGI. And that's probably one of them. Um, it's not enough to take me out of the film, but you can definitely be like, they tried, they did their yeah, best. That's when you just go, Oh, please. But I'm here. Yeah. for it. I'm here for it. It's a ridiculous movie, but that, that part was just like, <laughs> somebody wrote that and was like, know what we're going to do at the end. We're going to do boys it. Yeah. And that's what they did. Uh, but I do like when we get to the end. I mean, this is a virtually almost the end of our movie. You know, when uh, Memphis gets back to Kalitri, you know, when he gets back to the dock and they're like, nah, you're, you're like 12 minutes late. And he's like, yeah, but, you know, the, hey, this is the 50th car. And he'd say, hey, you know, take it up with Kalitri. So he drives Kalitri's uh, scrapyard and he just... He's like, I don't need 49 and a half cars. I need 50 cars. But, And then he has the line that we use in our intro music. He's like, hey, listen, I'm a little tired. I'm a little wired. And I just stole 50 cars from you for, yeah. for you. You know, like, I think I need a little appreciation. And then he's like, it's okay. And he just gets super calm. And I remember the first time I watched this, I'm like, oh, no, he's going to pull some shit here. Because he tells him, he's like, the stuff with my brother is done. It's over, right? And he's like, oh, it's done. It's over. And then he sucker punches him with those, like, the brass knuckles. I'm like, oh, it was such a. It's massive. <sighs> that brass, those brass, brass knuckles were insane. So I'm gonna, yeah. I'm kind of go back for just a second because I just overlooked one of my notes. What was the range on their walkie-talkies? I don't know. <laughs> like, I can't. Impossibly Beach. long. <laughs> yeah, they're all over Long Beach. Some of the cops have cell phones, but they're using walkie-talkies with like a million-mile range. Oh, yeah. I don't think people really know, I think, per se, how walkie-talkies work and what kind of range they have. You know, I mean, most of them have, what, a couple hundred yards at best? Yeah. You know, I I don't know. (laughs) Like, that was one of the things I noticed is that they were using walkie-talkies, and I was just like, how on earth? Well, at one point when they're staking all the cars out and they're doing the the back and forth about, you know, car logic and whatnot, back and forth. Like you said, they're on opposite ends of Long Beach across town. Like, what is the rate? Like, I want to know, what is the range? Do they have a specially made walkie-talkie that can go two miles or however many miles it is? I I don't know. Maybe I'm ignorant to how those things work, but it seems a little ridiculous to me. Yeah. No, that that was a little far-fetched. A little far-fetched. And other than the, the... the, that it's over a little too quick. I like when Memphis and Kalitri start fighting. 
Yeah. Like they're they're gonna you know they're gonna take Memphis out and shoot him in the head and they give him the choice of in the head or in the chest and he takes ah, and the, he says yeah in the chest and the first thing the guy does is aim for his face. Yeah. <laughs> like like uh, should I have said head and then maybe he would have shot me in the chest, but then um you know Atlee shows up in a moment to you know help him out and Kip shows up with the crane to knock those guys out. I love the use, but of the crane but like those guys didn't hear and or see that big ass crane coming towards them like yeah yeah <laughs> a little far-fetched especially if this this junkyard is crawling with with goons more or less like how did you not see two dudes walking up how was right. that missed yeah and how did anybody let them like uh, the fact that kip is the one they're looking for yeah, you know that that they were going to kill in the first place. Like they wouldn't have noticed him coming up at this place. Like they just let him up see... in the crane. Yeah, they just let him up in the crane. He wasn't the sneakiest of chaps, you know. I just didn't get <laughs> how he did that. No. But, but you know, you got to spend a little bit of disbelief when it's Hollywood. But I love when Memphis comes back and he's like, "You made a couple of mistakes, you know, you know, picking my little brother to." pull off your heist for you, you know, and then trying to kill me and he's kicking the shit out of him. And they start yeah. to fight. But I love when Memphis messes with him with that little like shelving ch- unit or chair or whatever. Yeah, that, that he was like, working oh, on. Yeah. Don't hurt yeah. it. Don't hurt it. And then he <laughs> breaks it all to shit. <laughs> when he just knocks a piece. I was like, oh, oh, oh. like, sorry, sorry. Oh, he knocks you can piece. fix that, right? You can yeah. fix that. I, I just wanted to see the end fight, the conclusion be a little less sloppy. For a movie that had such high tone and finely tuned action, the the last four or five minutes of the the fight between you know, you know, uh, Memphis and and Kalitri just felt a bit sloppy. Also, what was up with his tiny little gun? I I I don't know. It, I, I didn't get big it. Man. Gun. <laughs> he, he was undercompensating. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> like it was so. Like I remember the first time I watched it, I was like, "Oh, it's a gun." Because you know, the first time you watch anything, and it's been 22 years since this film came out, so you, you're like, "Oh God, that's that's scary. It's a gun." And then I was like, "How does it hold just a bullet?" <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> it, it was old. It was barely bigger than a Derringer. Like, did it yeah, kill two rounds? It was so small. It was a James Bond villain gun. It really was. Yeah. It very much so was. Um, so I was very like, I kept laughing at it. I was like, he's going to shoot at somebody and then he's going to immediately have to reload. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause the clip's only going to hold three rounds, maybe, yeah. maybe two. The, the, uh, but I do love the way this movie ends in, in a way that, uh, you know, Delroy Lindo gets, you know, he's going to get his head fucking blown off. And I'm like, I don't, like you said, if it was a pea shooter, you know, what it would have done, maybe make a, a welt on his forehead, that gun. Yeah. But, uh, uh, you know, he tells him, he's like, you know, if you shoot me, your life's going to be over. I'm a cop. And he's like, no, no, you're wrong. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to shoot you. Your life's going to be, be over. Your life will be over, yeah. <laughs> and he's not wrong. He's not wrong about that. But um, I love that Memphis has to come in and kind of save, you know, uh, Delroy Lindo's character. And he just, like, and you know what's coming. You know, he's just like, well, now I'm in a conundrum, Reigns. He's like, you know, I got to, you know, decide what I'm going to do with you. And he's like, get out of here. I'll fl- fix this. I'll clean this up. I owe you one. And then he looks at him. He's like, 
I said, go before you make me change my fucking mind. Yeah. And it's just kind of an, a nice little wink and nod. I think as much as, you know, um, the detective wanted to bust, you know, Reigns, you know, he had a respect for him. Exactly. And at the same time, he, you know, somebody saved your life, you're going to give them a second chance. You're at least going to give them, you know, 24 hours to get out of town or whatnot. <laughs> no, I, I really like Castlebeck and and Memphis's like relationship. And again, there's a lot of a lot of exposition that could have been there to kind of explain. And instead, everybody's left to their own interpretation, which is brilliant and frustrating at the same time. Brilliant as a writer and filmmaker, frustrating as a viewer. Right. <laughs> like I want to know. Like give me those details. Um. But yeah, he, he was. He ends up being Delroy's really a good guy. He's really a good guy. And he's a great actor. He's great. And he's one of those performance guarantee kind of actors. I love him and everything. He shows up. He classes up the joint. So, like, looking at the trivia, like, some of the cool things is, like, he did his own driving. Nick Cage did his own driving. He went to two different stunt driving schools. Yeah. To, to learn how to drive for this. Which is insane. Ooh. Like, what? It's crazy. Who does that? Uh, Nicholas Cage does that. Apparently, yeah. <laughs> The, other, uh, the last bit of trivia I had is that there were seven Eleanor GT500 yeah. replicas made and for this. Nick, Nick Cage has one. Yep, he has one, and Jerry Bruckheimer has the other one. I, I wonder like, if Nick Cage still has it. That's a question. If I ever met him, I'd probably have to ask him, do you still have Eleanor? I, I feel like I would have to ask him as well. Yeah. Well, if you meet him before I do, get back with me on that, all right? I will, totally. And I'll let you take this bit because you had mentioned it at the beginning. I know you said it, you thought it was one of your favorite parts of the movie is uh, when they're having the barbecue and they give Memphis a gift. Yes. So I, it, to me, it's one of my favorite parts because it's it's very full circle. And, you know, me as a writer, I write very circular. Mm -hmm. um, everything, everything comes, comes back, back around. around. Yep. Yep. Um, so Kip gives gives his brother who just pulled him literally out of the shit <laughs> keys, right. keys to a car um and the car is eleanor now it is a, a rusted beaded up version of eleanor but it is eleanor and you know it, it, it's kind of like not to quote fast and the furious but it is it's all about family <laughs> like it really <laughs> oh, is in, there. yeah it really is in that part like it it's this wholesome thing like i realize what you did i realize my mistakes i know that this is your unicorn and now you have it i love the fact that when he's pulling away when he's he, <laughs> he uh, said, no don't do this to me because the car breaks down like it fades to black and then you hear the car rattle and then come it, it just break down he's like oh no don't <laughs> don't do don't. this to me it's a perfect now, way to to end it i thought a little bit of a goof with that is that the keys were like laser etched and that's not how the keys were made at the time. So like he essentially got the wrong keys <laughs> to Eleanor. <laughs> Little things, but like, again, as filmmakers, you look at those and go, what's more dynamic? Yeah. Do yeah. I, do I give this boring key that looks like every other key or do I give a dynamic looking key and that go sparkles? Yeah, you know so, the right way. So uh, again, I understand it from a filmmaker writer point of view. I hate it from a viewer point of view. <laughs> right. 
Um, one of the things Reviewer, I did. You're just looking at the like. That's that's not right. To sort of backtrack, and I hate to flip floppy here. Um, when no, that's fine. When uh, Eccleson falls and he's he's going down to his demise. Aside from that being like a goofy looking scene because the CGI is garbage. Oh, it's garbage. Two thousand. So bad. It's so bad. But I love the fact that he lands in his coffin. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Like and, I just and he love did that. Say it was first his first one, and he built it just special. But it wasn't yeah. for Kip; it was for him. For him, yep. I feel I like that, that he... was also very full circle as well. There's a lot, lot of that in this movie of things coming along full circle. I noticed that they didn't let Kip cook a second time. Do you that blame horrible, him? That horrible breakfast <laughs> that was burnt and had like a pound of salt in it. And listen, I made a comment in my notes of how did they eat any of that with all that salt? Oh. Well, you notice he ate one bite of it and choked on it, and that that was it. Yeah, he couldn't even make toast. I mean, the kid no. couldn't even make toast. Yeah, that's Hot why they let. Mess. That's why they let Donnie run the grill at the end on the barbecue because apparently he had the cooking skills. <laughs> the <group. laughs> I love it. I love, but I, I love this movie for you know. We nitpick a little bit here, you know, I know you and I both like to, you know, just like uh, Danny does too, you know, love. We love to like nitpick, you know, yeah. and, and pick things apart. But I still have a whole lot of love for this movie. You know, sure, it's sure. it's a great film. And that being said, I think we can go ahead and give our final thoughts and ratings on this. And it, it's the same as every other show you've been on. Um, summary of your thoughts on the film and a rating on a scale from one to ten, if you will. So final thoughts on this film is it's it's a fantastic kind of throwback cult classic film. It may not have done so well in 2000, may not have aged so well, but it's still a fantastic film for any gearhead or for anybody who likes loud, roomy noises. I just (laughs) love the film. And I think it's also like, it's really good storytelling. And I think a lot of modern cinema, you lose a lot of that. Um, you, You lose a lot of the passion. So... I, I really like this film. If you've if you've never watched it, I'm sorry that you've lived under a rock. Please go find it, watch it. And what, um, what are you doing here? Um, while, you know, listening to this podcast and letting us ruin this movie one minute exactly. at a time. <laughs> For real, like go watch it real quick and then come back and listen to us talk about it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but for me, I'm probably going to rate this a little higher. I'm going to give it like a seven out of ten. Uh, not a perfect film, but not a bad film at all. I, I, I'm coming in about the same as you. I, I, I pretty much agree with everything you have to say, had to say there. Um, I'm giving it a seven and a half, so I'm coming in just slightly little, higher than you. A little higher. Little, yeah, a little, little notch higher. A couple. There's, there's a couple scenes of some wonky CGI that we, you know, mentioned. There's some un, uneven parts with the storytelling, you know, or the yeah. of how they use certain characters. I would have just liked to see more the camaraderie with the you know the gang you know the band exactly. getting the band get back together and you know we spent so much time getting these people to one place just to spend a lot of time on uh, other areas of the movie that we you know like we already mentioned with johnny b and things like that that just seemed out of place i would like to see more of our our, our supporting characters but you know it's a great gearhead kind of movie if you're you know if you if you just like you said if you like things that go vroom vroom, you know, like you know, 
cars roaring at the top, you know, RPMs, car chases that are going to excess of 160 miles an hour, nitrous, 50 stolen cars, beautiful cars all around, Nicholas Cage hamming it up. It's And it's, it's not a great. slow film. It, it is a long film. It's almost two hours, but it's not, it's not slow. Like you definitely stay in it. You feel the pacing. It's a great film. Yeah, it's a it, you know it's not a perfect film, but it's definitely a great film. I would yeah. there's it definitely you know I always say there's a fine line difference between a good movie and a great movie. This is definitely a great movie for sure, for and, sure. I mean, highlights are definitely the cinematography, the performances. Everybody is cast really, really well. But the cinematography is great. The selection of music is really weird and eclectic, but I like it. And there's a lot of music that I normally wouldn't like but it like fits for the movie it gets your blood pumping you know and for a two-hour movie like you said it doesn't feel like it it feels like a crisp yeah. 90 minutes yeah it goes it goes by pretty quick like again there's that I'm, I'm itching for more exposition a little bit more backstory but i also really like when films just kind of plop you into into the middle of people's lives and you don't really know what's going on and you're just like wait wait what they have a history <laughs> why do they have a history okay fuck it they have a history let's go with it right <laughs> yeah apparently they have a history and we just gotta go fucking with deal with it <laughs> yeah well that being said i think we'll stick a pin in this one for the evening um i want to thank you for taking a couple hours out of your time because not only do you gotta you know write notes and watch the movie then you gotta record with my sorry sorry behind for a couple hours so i know it's a it's taking several hours out of your busy schedule. And I know you got a ton of stuff going on, Rook. So I really, really appreciate you uh, coming on for the brilliantly insane for the first time. Absolutely. And you know, I've got nothing but love for you. So I'm, I, I love it here. <laughs> awesome. Well, hopefully we can get you to come back sometime soon. Absolutely. Um, I'm not sure what we'll do next, but I always got something going on the next, but again, thank you for joining me uh, for brilliant, brilliantly insane. I appreciate the, you know, you coming on again. And folks listening at home, uh, if you want to help out with the, the podcast with Cinema Degeneration, the best thing you can do is like our like our links, listen to the show, drop us a rating, drop us a review. Um, we're on Podbean, Stitcher, Spotify, Pandora, iHeart, iTunes, Amazon, you name it. We're, wherever fine podcasts are sold. So drop us a rating, drop us a review, interact with our post and share them is the best way that you can help us all the good things that you can do to help us little independent fellas get the word out there and get known but you have been listening to rook and i uh discuss and dissect gone in 60 seconds from the year 2000 so we're out of here in less than 60 seconds take care guys i know we got a history on more and that that history has not been great I promise. You take care of me, I'll take care of you.